0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Those of you who have children or have raised children, You can think back to that first birthday, especially if your kids are grown now, would that first birthday celebration have seemed different if you had seen what your children were going to grow to be ahead of time? It's what it's like for us to come to Christmas every year. We know the story of this child that we are celebrating before we have the celebration. It bewilders me sometimes how blithely we come to chuck the baby on his cheek and we move on to the punch and we have our conversations and we celebrate and we sing and we, and, and we call it a season of joy. And for us, There is no other word for it. It's a season of joy. I attended seminary with a a man named Larry, and he had done some work as a licensed local preacher. And before that, he had been a salesman, a traveling salesman, in the days when they really had circuits and they had to go out and around the circuit. He went all the way to Arizona and to New Mexico and then back, and he would do this on a regular basis. And finally, one day, he heard the Lord call him to ministry, or he got tired of sitting in his car. I don't know what. But I remember him saying in a seminary class that there's no other way to describe the gospel except to say that it is the best deal we are ever going to get from anyone. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I made the sun and the moon and the stars. I carved out the seas and I caused the water to run in those places. I stood the mountains up like sentries all around Southern California. I made them stand up 10,000 feet high and you will be my people. All you have to do is say yes. The best deal we're ever going to get. Now, Larry was a bit of a cut up sometimes. He told us uh, of a time where he and uh, a couple of guys were traveling on a sales trip, and they got to talking about the Lord, and two of them had been walking with Christ for a while. The other one was a new convert. He goes, you know, praying in public, that's something I just can't do. They were sitting in a Denny's coffee shop out on the other side of Banning and Beaumont, and the sun was almost set, and uh, they were having their dinner And he said, I just can't, I can't pray in front of others. And Larry said, It's not hard. Here, I'll show you. And he stood up in the middle of a Denny's, ting, 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 ting on the glass. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, I certainly don't want to offend anyone, but the sun is giving us this beautiful sunset outside. We've got a dinner in front of us that's meeting our needs. My buddies and I have just finished a tremendous sales trip. It's a good day. We wondered if anybody would be offended if we had a grace. For the meal that is before us, nobody in the restaurant said anything, and so he said, Joe? <laughs> it's easy. It's all about context, isn't it? It's easy. When you know the Lord, it's easy. But do we know the Lord? This week I found myself reading an essay, a reprint of an old speech by Bertrand Russell. You probably don't know his name, but he was a rationalist, an atheist. He was a philosopher who did not believe in God. And the name of the speech was, Why I Am Not a Christian?, And I read through and I looked at his points and I think he has misread a couple of the scriptures that he cited as having flaws in them and I think in a few other cases he's jumped to a few conclusions. But what really got me, what really got me was his introductory remarks. He said, I want to tell you about why I am not a Christian, but first I think I need to talk about the word Christian. Now this was written almost a hundred years ago. He said, the word has become more loosely used today than I intend to use it. We live in a time, he said, when people think that if you just try to live a good life, that that makes you a Christian. But he said then if that were the case, there would be Christians walking around all over the place. Such a definition of what it means to be a Christian assumes that it, whoever is not living a good life is not a Christian, but it also assumes that whoever is living a good life is a, is a Christian. And that would mean that there were plenty of Buddhists and mu- Muslims and others who are also Christians. Moreover, it would assume that anyone who made a mistake was no longer a Christian. He, he went on to say that There are certain dogmatic statements, certain beliefs about God and about Jesus that have to be brought into play. To call oneself a Christian, there has to be a certain acceptance of things that have to do with eternal life. I'm reading this and saying, here's an atheist and a rationalist and a philosopher who's got a better handle on what's required for discipleship to Jesus than nine-tenths of the Christians that are self-styled who are walking around today. Yesterday I was invited to golf in a golf tournament. but It was a charity tournament. and It was for a church, but there was some of the people that are around who were also invited in as friends, and there was a guy there, and we were introduced. And my friend who asked me to come said, this is, this is Bill. He used to be my pastor a long time ago in another, in another community. And the guy looked at me, and he said, you're a pastor. I said, yeah. He goes, well, you know, I... I just, I try to live a good life, you know. Bertrand Russell to this guy, all in the space of a week. And what I wanted to say is, well, good for you for living a good life. We should all try to get a, live a good life. But if we're going to talk about Jesus, we have to talk about something more than that. All of us need to talk about something more than that. There is at the heart of every true believer a certain longing, yearning for God that is irrepressible. It's also terrifying. One of my colleagues had pointed out recently that it struck him how many people we see in the Scriptures who are running for their lives Jacob stole God's blessing from his brother Esau. And what's the next thing that happened? He's running for his life because his brother is breathing threats against him. Elijah cries out against the false prophets. And the next thing we know, he's hiding in a cave, running for his life, terrified. Adam and Eve transgress in the garden they hear the snap of a twig and the fall of a heavy foot and they know that god's on the way and they run and they hide themselves to believe in god even to try to live a moral life is only part of the story we have to overcome this need to go and run and hide from god as if god is someone to be feared There's a yearning and a longing in there which for some reason in most human beings results first and foremost in fleeing for our lives. But there's nowhere in this world to which we can flee. This is why the writer of Isaiah is talking in terms of splitting the sky and shaking the earth. Those of you who've lived in Southern California for any period of time know that you can't flee from an earthquake. People in Caltech that wonderful institution, are trying to find an early warning system for earthquakes. So far, they can get about 15 seconds. Whoopee. (laughs) The big one's coming. You have 15 seconds to make an accounting of your life. What are you going to do with that 15 seconds? Uh Uh-oh. There's nothing to be feared in these moments. Now, I know it's the holidays and it's inevitable that we will reminisce and we'll look back and we'll, we'll remember with fondness our own childhoods and our own times of sitting around a fire or, or staring at the twinkle lights on a tree. Santa Ana's are coming this week, which was good news for me when I was a child because my brothers and I had a lot of energy and school was out for Christmas vacation and we could run out in the front yard We lived in a cul-de-sac. We were right at the end of the street. We could run out in the front yard and throw a frisbee as high as we could up into the sky, and one of us could stand in the backyard and catch it, because the wind would blow it back there. It was a great game, and we could play all night long. And I see a certain style of Christmas light, or I hear a certain kind of music, and my heart inevitably runs back to those times, And I find this deep kind of nostalgia, this powerful feeling of warmth and emotion that brings tears to our eyes. And I'm not going to tell you this morning that there's no place for nostalgia in our life. What I I do want to say is that in our lives, our nostalgia as Christians doesn't go back far enough. We have to go all the way back to creation. This is where we need to fix our hearts. A longing for the full restoration of the human species to what God intended us to be. For we are made in the image of God. And the gift of Jesus Christ in the, to the world is the greatest recycling project that the world has ever seen to wipe away the dirt and the smudge, to fix up and shore up, and to make us once again shine like the children of God that we are. And there's nowhere we can go in this world apart from Jesus Christ that can accomplish that. So I see churches with Christmas tree lots where the parking used to be because they can't pay their bills. And I see churches putting out huge marketing campaigns. And I see churches doing everything they can to kind of stay alive and be a church and keep the feeling going and all of that. And sometimes I look at all of the commercialization of our own gospel message and I just want to say, oh God, tear open the skies. Shake the earth. Shake us good. We have nothing to fear when this happens. Bring your... Son, to bring the fulfillment of the ages. Complete creation. Restore justice. Let righteousness flow like an everlasting stream. Wipe the tears from our eyes. Call out to us from the very streets of heaven. Here, here is the river of life. Oh, anyone who is thirsty, come and have a drink and drink until you're satisfied. Oh God, give me a longing for that instead of Yule logs. Let me be passionate for Christ and His love and mercy instead of the piece of chocolate in my Advent calendar. Let every twinkling light on my Christmas tree point to something higher and greater and farther than any eye has ever seen or ear has ever heard or mind can conceive. Oh God, give your church a longing that God would move in our future the way God has moved in the past that our stories of Jesus and of God's faithfulness are not all told in the past tense, but that we might be caught up again in what will be because the God of Scriptures is moving again. Proclaim that. Celebrate that. Sing that to me, and I'm in for Advent But please, please, please don't play any Mariah Carey songs to me until December 27th. Because we have a lot of ground to cover. And we can't cover it up with pop music. If you listen carefully enough, you'll hear creation itself. Straining and groaning for the next time God moves among us. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Hush. Hush. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.